all the day long. We're glad that you are here. Good morning, everybody. Uh, there's an outline in the bulletin this morning. You can follow along on version, which is a free app for your mo- mobile phone or device as well, and just look for Preston Crest under live events. Now, I will tell you, that outline that you see, do not be alarmed, all right? It's not really that long. In fact, I sent... Uh, I sent uh, John Scott, a message yesterday, I just lopped off the bottom a third of that. We'll save it to next week, because I looked at that as that was rolling off the printers Thursday afternoon, and I thought, what have I done? It's longer than a West Texas summer, so we have trimmed that bad boy back, and we'll, we don't need to say everything today, uh, so I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're here. The, uh, last week, so we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit Within, and last week, a dear Christian sister got me after church, and she just said, boy, I just appreciate this series so much. I think this is the best series that you preached here. She said, I hope you don't get fired. So, and I was like, hey, awesome. What, what, what are you talking about? You know, but I think we know what she means. I'm not getting fired, okay? I don't think, at least. Uh, I think we're doing good. I love our elders. Very supportive. But um, what she means is, boy, the Holy Spirit is one of those topics, isn't it, that uh, over the years has divided people into camps and caused a lot of fights and and arguments among Christians and split churches in some cases. So I think that's what she was getting at. It's a pretty serious subject that folks have uh, some pretty strong ideas about. And so I understand that and and, uh, I appreciate that she cares about me and my future here as well. But I, I I think we're good. So what I take away though with that sentiment though is just humility. For all of us, humility is the starting point. Humility is kind of where we need to live. When we talk about the nature of God, whether it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, we're dealing with things that are way beyond us in terms of our ability to comprehend. He is an awesome God. He is our creator. And so we just approach it with a certain sense of awe, reverence, and humility. And also, I would just say, read your Bible. I mean, you know this already. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Obviously, don't just take what what I say or some preacher says. You get in the Word, you study, and let the Spirit work on your understanding and your heart as you encounter Him and and His will for your life in in your study of the Scriptures. Be one of those Bereans uh, in the New Testament. Berean was a good and noble heart because they listened to Paul preach, and then they went and studied out what he taught. So I'm not trying to satisfy uh, satisfy your appetite. I'm trying to whet your appetite in this series for you to want more and to go deeper with the Lord. Now, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this church. I've been on my knees more than usual uh, lately uh, taking this series to the Lord because I just want you not only to have greater knowledge about the Holy Spirit, but way more than that, I want you to have a greater experience of the Holy Spirit in your life. And in the end, I'm hopeful that we will come to understand that the Holy Spirit is not so much a subject to be studied, but is a companion to be relied on. He lives in us, and He wants for us to have this relationship with Him. We just don't know about Him. We actually experience Him in our day-to-day life. Amen? That's what we want. And understanding, let's let's just be honest, understanding the Spirit, please, um, don't set those expectations for this series at all. Um, you're not going to understand 
the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get a handle on the Holy Spirit. Hopefully he gets a handle on you. He is far above your ability to comprehend, to understand. And so we just take what he has revealed to us in the Word and we try as best we can to see what he's communicating to us. A faith, a lifestyle in Christ that is diminished into this box that I can hold, that I can understand, that's not much of a life at all, really. That's much less than what we see that God has for us. Ephesians 3, verse 19 says that His love surpasses understanding. All right? Love of God, pretty big deal. Pretty much a cornerstone of our faith. Paul says it surpasses your understanding. I mean, you can, you can plumb the depths to some extent. You can, you can learn a little bit more about God's love, feel God's love, but you can't even get close to understanding all that God's love is. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, uh, Paul says his peace surpasseth understanding. Um, again, we experience this peace. Um, we want more of it in our lives, but it's beyond our ability to comprehend, to know. And of course, that uh, famous passage in Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says that His power that is at work within us is beyond our ability to imagine. It is more than anything that we can ask. Um, isn't that great? Immeasurably more than anything that we can ask or imagine. So again, God is all over the place in the Scripture saying, I love that you want to know me, and I want you to know me more, but just understand, you can't fully know me. You can't fully understand my love. You can't fully understand my peace. You can't fully understand my power. And these things are actually at work. Ephesians 3, within us. I mean, it just blows your mind. I mean, I love that stuff. And by the way, Proverbs, go Old Testament on you for a second. Proverbs 3, 5. You know this verse. You may have this cross-stitched or embroidered somewhere in your home. It says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own. Don't lean on your own understanding. Now, I've got a confession. The church I grew up in, great people. I owe them so much. But for much of my life, we definitely leaned on our own understanding. We thought we had it all figured out. And I mean, we were trying, and we loved God's Word, but I think we just got to kind of reboot the system every once in a while, go back to the Word, and see what it says. And what the Word of God says is, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own knowledge. You're simply not going to... We're talking about God here. You're simply not going to be able to get a handle on everything that God is and wants to do in your life. So if I put this ceiling kind of on my life in Christ, this sort of governor that regulates that I can only get this much of God, limited to what I can understand, what I can deal with, then I can't even get close to the life that Christ has for me that I see revealed in the Scriptures because He wants to do much more than I can ask or imagine. So this morning, we got some work to do. And like I said, the outline got changed a little bit. Another little aviso here this morning. Usually I like to stick with one scripture that we kind of unpack, dig into. Today we're going to kind of be all over the place as we talk about, uh, begin to talk about what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. So my apologies for jumping around this morning. But before we get into the text this morning, I just want to kind of acknowledge where so many 
uh, evangelical traditions line up, and definitely the Churches of Christ, very strong current in our tradition, is this idea um, that God really doesn't work in the world anymore. You know, the age of miracles has ended. At least He doesn't work in any real kind of direct sort of way. And I think there are, I don't agree with that, by the way, but I think there are three reasons why that kind of thinking developed. And one of them is quite biblical, and I actually agree with this to an extent, and that is that as you look through the New Testament, clearly signs and wonders were, one of their purposes was to establish the authority of Jesus his message and his ministry, and then after Jesus, the authority of the apostles and their message and ministry. So these amazing dramatic signs and miracles and wonders, they they had this function of saying, this person speaks for me, of God kind of saying, this person speaks for me, just look at all the miracles that he is or she, like they're able to do there. And so I think we got this idea, okay, so, so God did that to affirm Jesus and his ministry, these miracles, miracles and the apostles, but then we kind of went the extra step and said, he doesn't do any miracles anymore. Now that's the leap that I don't really agree with. The second reason I think that this um, idea that God has stopped working directly in the world is, uh, and again, there's a good side to this, but it's the age of science. And by the way, I am very grateful. I thank God who is the source of all truth. I thank God that we have grown in this area. I definitely want a doctor who understands medical science, all right? I don't, I'm not looking for a witch doctor. I'm not looking for someone who has... I want someone who was first in their class in medical school, right? Um, but over the last two, 300 years, the age of reason, the age of science... As this has grown, and, it is, and, and science has become much clearer, and, and, and the scientific method through Sir Francis Bacon and others developed, um, some people, again, took this leap of saying, well, science can and should explain everything. Like, every arena in life needs to be put under the light of science. I mean, try that with a lot of different important arenas of life, like, you know, poetry and art and music and stuff like that. It just, it doesn't work. It's not designed to do that. It's certainly not designed to do spirituality. Um, There are some things you study, but since spirituality is in, spirituality is the essence of non-physical things, it does a poor job at that. But over the last hundred years or so, this idea called materialism developed, where a lot of people believe everything that exists, everything that is real, is material, is, is physical, and can be studied in that way. Again, spiritual things simply are not under the purview of science in that way. So thank God for the development of science. Just recognize that tool for what it is. It does a great job studying the physical universe, not so great studying spiritual things or art or stuff like that. And by the way, if you're really into science, you can go the next step and say, look, last hundred years, even materialism has fallen away for most scientists because of you know, Heisenberg and Albert Einstein and the growth of quantum physics and theoretical physics, we now know that much of what's the underpinnings of the universe are not really physical things that you can put under a microscope, right? These quarks and uh, neutrons and all this kind of stuff. So anyways, again, we kind of developed this idea, okay, everything, it should be studyable, we should be able to kind of put that under a microscope and understand it, and that kind of bled into Christianity in the sense, oh, miracles, stuff like that, we don't need that anymore, Um, 
and finally, the thing I would say is, just getting this back, we want to understand things. And I think um, there has been a movement uh, because of the mystery involved in God of, I don't really like mystery so much, so I want to think that I can unpack all that and, again, lean on my own understanding. I don't want to leave room for mystery, which, by the way, is a huge mistake for believers because the mystery, the awe of God, is one of the things that causes us to worship, one of the things that causes us to praise His name. So that backdrop to put it uh, to get to this, which is what I'm calling... Um, the fallacy of the orphaned believer. The idea that, okay, God may have worked in like the first century, and at the end of time, Jesus is going to come back and we'll have the miracles again, but right now, God is not doing anything. So basically, we're on our own. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now it's up to me to pull myself up by the bootstraps and to make all of this happen on my own. And I call that the idea of being an orphaned believer. Like you have this father, but he does absolutely nothing for you. He's totally checked out. He may listen to your prayers, but he's not going to do a miracle or anything in response to what you ask. So practically speaking, you kind of live as this orphan. Um, and Jesus did not teach this, all right? Jesus, in fact, worried about his followers having this mindset. Why? Because he knew he was going to leave them. Okay? Death, burial, resurrection. He's going to do a little bit more teaching. And he knew he would ascend to heaven. And he did not want them to feel like they were all alone because they were not going to be all alone. He was going to send them his spirit. And so in the middle of the Gospel of John, as he's talking to them, look, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending my... In fact, I have to go away so that I can send you this amazing gift of my Spirit. He tells them in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we know from the context there, he's talking about the Spirit uh, that he is going to send them to help teach them to all truth and to help minister in their lives and minister through them. So, this is the idea, again, stepping back, the idea that God no longer works directly in the world is an idea called cessationism. I've got that on your outline this morning. Cessationism, like from the word to cease, um, it is the belief that God's miraculous world work in the world has stopped, or at least has been suspended. Okay, it's not uh, happening in miraculous ways anymore. Some would say that uh, it's the supernatural spiritual gifts of the Spirit that have so stopped or ceased. Um, but generally, cessationism is used for the more general belief that no, all miraculous activity has like stopped. Okay, Now, there are various consequences of this position. One of them, and this is on your outline as well, uh, this belief causes a Christian to kind of live as a deist. A deist believe that God just kind of wound up the universe and let it go on its own. So you kind of live as a deist, as if God spoke through His Word long ago, but that He no longer acts in the world or moves in their hearts. If God's moving in your heart, that's a miracle. That's God doing something inside of you. So they believe that God just doesn't do 
uh, anything. He works through the Word, like when you read your Bible, and that is about it. A few things to consider about this. One of them is this false assumption, an all-or-nothing assumption. This is on your outline. They work from this false all-or-nothing premise that God either performs jaw-dropping miracles, you know, the dead are rising and there's walking on water, there's tongues of fire, that God is doing stuff like that, or he's doing nothing, right? Kind of this all-or-nothing type of uh, proposition, um, and, they, and that's what they tend to believe. Uh, and if God does not directly intervene in world affairs, if he does not directly intervene in your life, and we're just kind of waiting until the end of the age where he will once again de demonstrate his power, then essentially our prayers are just wishes, are just hopes. I mean, he's not going to actually intervene and cure that cancer or heal that person or restore that marriage or transform the city because of our prayers. Um, and so there's these wishful thinking instead of confident requests where I actually believe my father is hearing my prayers and my father is answering my prayers. Um, and our struggles with sin, good luck. I mean, it's up to you and your willpower, right? If God is not working in your life. By the way, one of the things I love about 12-step programs, addiction recovery programs, is they pretty much all start with dependence on a higher power. And not everyone that even goes to those meetings is a believer, but they, they still recognize there's got to be a higher power. Or I can't break free. I can't be transformed. Well, Christians know who that higher, higher power is is Jesus Christ. Um, and so, for the cessationist, either it's demonstrations like tongues of fire, dead or raising, uh, are being raised, or God is not doing anything anymore. Now, I believe this Bible doesn't come, I mean, this, this interpretation doesn't come from the Bible, but comes because of those strands I was talking about earlier, where we, where we want to demystify the universe. We want to put everything under the lens of reason, our understanding but I will give them this. They have this one passage that they love to take you to in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, by the way, you're probably thinking, wait, that's the love passage. That's the one we had read at our wedding. Yes, this is a passage about love, but it has a couple of things to say that the, that the cessationists will circle and say, this is, look, it all stopped. He's not doing miracles anymore. So starting in verse 8. Paul says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. See, they're going to cease. Um, where there are tongues, they will be, see, they're going to be still. Um, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfection, very important, when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. So we're going to wonder about that in a minute. What is that perfect, okay? When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There are a lot of problems if you're using this to say God no longer works in miraculous, direct sort of ways. A lot of problems if you're using this text for that purpose. First, it sounds like Paul is talking about the end of time. That's what it sounds like. Unless you come with a preconceived, I'm going to manipulate this text to fix what I want it to say, if you just come in and objectively look at it, I mean, he talks about face-to-face. 
When face-to-face happens, all this stuff is going to pass away. Doesn't that sound like you're in heaven face-to-face with God? Yes, it sounds like heaven face-to-face with God. talks about the perfection coming. Um, They will say, well, the perfection is, uh, that's the completion of the Bible. We finally have all 66 books, so we don't need miracles anymore. Or they'll say the perfection is the maturity of the church. You know, the church is very immature, very childish in the first century, needs to grow to maturity, and so that's the perfection. By the way, I don't think we're all that mature, all due respect, okay? I don't think we've arrived. I definitely wouldn't use the word perfection to describe us or any other church on the face uh, of planet Earth at this point. So lots of internal problems. If you want to say um, all the miracles stopped because the perfection came... Um, lots of problems with that and also this idea knowledge will cease when the perfection has knowledge ceased I I didn't get the memo on that no I think we still are growing in knowledge and and learning things I don't think we have what Paul said is all knowledge I know we don't have that at that point so this idea that the perfection has come uh, these powerful manifestations of the spirit the miraculous work of God has stopped um, that's Let me give you the biggest problem of all with this, okay? we got to remember, when you're reading through these epistles, you're essentially reading other people's mail. I mean, God has something to say to me in the letter to the Romans. He has something to say to us in the letter to the Ephesians or these letters to the Corinthians. But let's not forget, those letters were written to the Romans and to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, Colossians, and all those other ends, the Thessalonians and those guys. It was first written to them. And that is a good thing to remember as we study the Word because if I come away with an interpretation of a passage that the original recipients could not reasonably have walked away with, then I probably need to rethink my interpretation. Does that make sense? If I'm reading this letter and the Corinthians could not have had the same reading of it that I have, then I've got a problem. And they could not have had this reading of it. Oh, the perfection is the completion of the Bible. I mean, they, they would have had no concept. They had the Bible. They had the Tanakh. The Hebrew Bible. And yeah, there were a few letters written by Paul and others that were circulated, but they were not waiting for this completion. They didn't think they were, at least. Um, And this idea, the the maturity of the church. Look, they did not think they were in the childhood phase of the church. They thought Jesus was going to come back any day. I mean, if you read those letters, you see they they think they're it's the last days. I mean, here we are. Jesus is going to come back today or tomorrow. They would have, the fact that we're here 2,000 years later, they'd be like, what? So they could not have walked away with this interpretation that, oh, we're at the, you know, we're just in the infancy of the church or we're waiting on the Bible to be put together. That's something we can bring to the text, but someone in first century Corinth would never have thought to bring to the text. So again, um, you've got to do a lot of verbal gymnastics with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in order to kind of force this cessationist interpretation onto it. So write this down. The interpretation used by cessationists of 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 12, is one that would not have been a possible reading for the original recipients. They just would not have walked away going, oh yeah, he's talking about when the Bible gets put together. He's talking about when the church gets mature. Another consideration that is based not on one passage uh, that 
has to be creatively interpreted, but on many passages throughout the New Testament is this thought. A life powered by the Holy Spirit is normative. Okay, that just means normal operating procedure. It is normative for all Christians as presented throughout the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit wasn't just... um, For certain people, it's for all believers in Jesus Christ. Now, maybe there were some more sensational miracles in the first century um, that that, that the Spirit used to confirm that message that was being preached, uh, the apostolic ministry of those apostles. Um, But to say that He no longer works in miraculous ways in the lives of believers... That is not substantiated by the New Testament at all. In fact, that would require going through basically every book in the New Testament and about every fifth, sixth verse doesn't apply to you, right? Oh, the Spirit's doing something there. That doesn't apply to us. Or God's doing that there. That doesn't apply to us. And you can hardly be a New Testament believer, a New Testament church, if you think that much of the New Testament doesn't apply to you, right? I mean, um, so here we go. Um, Finally, and I'll be honest with you, even if I wanted to, I could not hold the cessationist position. Even if I tried my hardest, I could not hold this cessationist position because I've just seen God do too many things. I mean, it's like this week, so Wednesday morning, John Scott, you were there, our staff was there. Every Wednesday morning in the office across the street at 10 o'clock a.m. on the dot, or sometimes 10.02, We have our staff prayer time, and it's great. We connect. We're praying for you guys. We're praying for all sorts of stuff. Well, this Wednesday at exactly 9.55 a.m., there was a knock on our door across the street, and there were these five neighbors from the community who said, hey, we're just walking around the neighborhood, and we wondered if we could pray for your staff. At the very moment we're in that room gathered to pray, These people who don't know us, who have never met us before, happened to come by to join us in prayer. Now, you could say, what an amazing coincidence. Or you can say, wow, God, that's incredible. And so we had a wonderful prayer time with these folks. They prayed over us. We prayed for them. It was a wonderful time of prayer. And that wasn't by accident. That was the Spirit of God. Again, I can't, I can't, like, I can't do the gymnastics required to take the credit away from God and say that was luck. All right? Um, <laughs> one of you told me this week, dear sister here told me that you were, you were in a public space just a few days ago, and you were sitting there in a chair, and next to you was this person you'd never met before, and she was distraught. Uh, she seemed upset, so you asked her what was going on, and she just began pouring out her heart that... Uh, a loved one had passed away, and she had been through a really difficult time the last couple of months. And you told me that you just sat there and you listened. You really didn't feel like you did anything. You just kind of sat there and listened and kind of patted her on the back. And, and then later, you kind of went your separate way. And after 30 or 40 minutes, this lady tracked you down and said, Look, I've just got to say this. Um, she told you, she said, i just got to say this. It wasn't by accident that you sat down by me. That was a God thing. She said, you were exactly what I needed at that moment. Look, God still works, guys. He's still moving his pieces around. He is still working. He is still in charge. I could not be a cessationist even if I tried to because God is doing stuff all the time. I think about a a middle-aged woman named Cisa in Rio back in our work there. In fact, Her husband ended up being one of our first elders in Rio. But this is back in the beginning days of the church. 
we're there, just normal office hours. We're doing Bible studies with people. She comes by, and, and we had been praying for her for weeks because she had breast cancer. She had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I'll never forget this day. She comes by in the middle of the week, and she's got this like big brown envelope, like one of those things you'd get from your doctor or something with slides and stuff in. She opens it up, and she pulls out Exhibit A. Right? And she says, and I don't know if this is an MRI or what this is, it's something, uh, but she pulls out this film, and she says, look, and I'm like, and she said, do you see that? And I said, yeah, there's a big white spot there. She said, that's the breast cancer. That's what we've been praying about. And I said, yeah, okay, we've been praying about that. Um, we're still praying for you. And she said, wait a second. She pulls out the second slide. She said, this is from this morning. Do you see anything there? And I said, no, there's nothing there. She said, it's gone. I haven't done any chemo. We had the surgery scheduled. The doctor is baffled. He said, we're going to cancel the surgery. You don't have cancer, right? Now, again, you can try to explain that away. Uh, wow, she got lucky. There was a problem with the machine the first day, and there happened to be a spot there or something. Or you can say, praise God. Thank you for answering our prayers. I prefer the latter, right? Now, obviously, the Lord doesn't always heal. Jesus didn't heal everybody on planet Earth during his ministry. He doesn't always answer the prayers that we pray in exactly the way he would like for, we would like for him to answer. But God always shows up. Amen? He always shows up in just the way we need for him to show up. And yeah, sometimes he blows us away totally. Like Cecil on that morning and the rest of us were just praising God after that. I believe if we just become a little more aware of what the Spirit has done, is doing, and is up to in our lives, if we just kind of open our eyes a little bit, then this cessationist view is no longer a valid option for us at all. By the way, I think I left a slide out in the... the, the the outline got all messed up and stuff. So I think you have a point there that we may not have a slide for. Uh, it says something about, um, yeah, here it is. I'll just pull out my outline. Because I, I thoroughly confused people at first service this morning. So uh, beware of plagiarism. See this line on your outline? Beware of plagiarism for the Spirit of God to work powerfully in, that's what you're going to write down there, for the Spirit of God to work powerfully in a person's life when they claim that it is by their own power is to take credit for his work and deny him the glory that he deserves. So essentially, if you are praying for something, if you're asking God for something, and you get that job, or that cancer has gone away, or your marriage that is falling apart is restored... Don't take credit for that. Give credit to God. Don't take credit for his work. Okay, when he does something, when he intervenes, it's not so that we look good. It's not so that we think we're all that. It's so that we fall on our knees and give him glory. So just kind of an aviso there. If God does something that you spot in your life, please give him the glory for it. And certainly the sensationist, God is doing stuff, I believe, all the time in their life. And they're not recognizing it. They think it's, I'm just doing a great job as a Christian here. Woo! I've really grown in my discipleship. I mean, I saved my marriage, and, and I got my teenage kid off drugs, and God is doing that stuff. Give him credit for that, okay? Um, anyway, and I know this bugs a lot of people. This bugs me, all right? 
I want to understand things. I mean, I went to school for a long, long time because I love understanding stuff, but there really isn't a formula. There really isn't like some sort of 100% certainty way that you can predict exactly what God is going to do at any given moment because He is still God and you are still not God, okay? <laughs> um, so write this down, this key idea here. The fact that there is no formula to describe how the Spirit leads and that the Spirit cannot be fully understood should lead us to Him, to His leading, to His empowerment, to His comfort, to His instruction, not away from Him. So basically I'm saying this. If you get to the point, and you should regularly get to this point, where you can't understand something God is doing, or He has blown your mind away, start praising Him. And that should be a motive to worship, uh, not a motive to be bewildered or something. All right, We need, we desperately need, uh, if transformation is going to happen in our lives, if we're going to grow and we're going to become more and more like Jesus, if He's going to use us to do great things, we need to live in fellowship with the Spirit. We need to be connected to the Spirit. I want for myself and I want for you, I want to live a life that simply cannot be explained without the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I want for this church to have a life that just can't be explained without the Holy Spirit. By the way, someone told me the other day, um, they're like, hey, you believe in all that all that God stuff, and, and you read the Bible all the time. That's just a bunch of brainwashing. You're getting brainwashed. And my response was, look, if you knew what was going on in my brain, you would want it washed. Yeah. I mean, I need the Holy Spirit to do a lot of washing up here. All right? Anyways. So living by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit, as we said earlier, that is normal. <laughs> that is what is supposed to happen in the life of the believer. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And we're just trying to get more aware, more conscious of this and recognize what he is doing. In fact, there are too many passages, really, for us to study in the New Testament about he lead, how he leads us and how he works in our lives. So what I want to do is just let's take a little sample, all right, from just... The first week, we talked about Romans 8. So let's just look at Romans 8, and then let's look at Galatians 5. Yeah, Galatians 5, which we talked about last week. From just those two chapters, let's look at what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers. Galatians 5, 16. We live by the Spirit, right? And then Paul says, that's our fuel. That's what, that's what makes this life in Christ possible. He says in verse 18... If you are led by the Spirit. The clear idea there is you're a believer. You should be led by the Holy Spirit. He's like directing your life. Um, Romans 8, 5. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit. This fellowship with the Spirit. You are not on your own. You're living with the Spirit. Um, Romans 8, 6. Again, this mind thing. If your mind is controlled or the mind is controlled by the Spirit, yes, please, I need that. I need for you to help me with my thoughts and my mind and my desires. Uh, Romans 8, 9, you, however, are controlled. There are two choices here, right? You are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. It's going to be one or it's going to be the other. Uh, and if anyone, oh, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, what? 
he doesn't belong to Christ, all right? So I need to live according to the Spirit. I need to live a life powered by the Spirit because I belong to Christ. Uh, Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? Then you are led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Yes, please, I need that. I have a lot of weaknesses. You do too. Help me with my weaknesses. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that is for you if you are a believer in the name of Jesus Christ. That is all for you. Look, these Christians in Rome or in Galatia, they weren't the exceptions, right? It's not like God said, welcome to the kingdom. Oh, by the way, Galatians, Romans, I'm going to take you over here to my, to my VIP area where you guys get the Holy Spirit. The rest of you, sorry, no help for you. No, it's normal. Life in the Spirit is for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. We are not on our own. We have not been orphaned. This is for us. I love what author J.D. Greer, Christian author J.D. Greer writes uh, about this. What is it primarily that the Holy Spirit does? He says what the Holy Spirit does is, quote, Jesus continued, dot, dot, dot. What the Holy Spirit does is he is continuing the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is allowing all of that to be continued through us even today. I love it because I think it captures what he's doing as he lives in us. Yes, Jesus did ascend to heaven. Jesus reigns at the right hand of God, but he has not left us as orphans. He has sent us his spirit. And that work of Christ is continuing in us, among us, and through us. And that is a beautiful thing. So we're going to spend a few weeks, I'll just give you a little bit of preview, a few weeks coming up talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how He gives you gifts to help build the church up, how He works in evangelism, how the gospel, uh, as we tell people our story and the story of Christ in us, how the Spirit works in that. We're going to do that for the next few weeks, but what I want you to remember here is just that it is all His work. It is all for the glory of God and the growth of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit is all about. That is the heart of His work. He is not bringing attention to you. He is not bringing attention to our church. He is bringing attention to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Back when we lived in Rio, and I just remember this was kind of a big deal. The, the most prominent thing about Rio, you remember, is the Christ statue, right? That Cristo Redentor that sits atop Corcovado Mountain. Um, beautiful. You can see it from most of the city. This huge statue of Jesus towering over the city. Well, there was this big story um, because the city was finally putting up the cash to buy these giant holofaches, these giant spotlights, so that that statue would be lit up at night. And it was a story, and then they turned those bad boys on. And from then on, if you were driving anywhere in the south zone of Rio or downtown Rio, you could look up, and there he was. Um, even at night, brightly lit. Uh, sometimes even up in the cloud, the clouds are mixed up there. You could see Jesus. And that made me think about really this idea of the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, once those spotlights were installed, this is the funny thing. That money was spent in the spotlight. You, once they were installed, you never even thought about the spotlights anymore. All you saw was Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is like that. Look, 
When a spotlight does its job, it does not call attention to itself. It shines light on that other, the the statue, the bridge, the Washington Monument, or in this case, on Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit um, to His gospel that saves, to the ministry of Jesus, the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is interested in constantly shining a light on Jesus. So whatever gifts that he empowers a person with, whatever amazing things he does in answer to a prayer that your small group prays or that you've been praying, um, whatever he does to convict people of sin and lead them to Christ, he does it to shine a light on Jesus. That's what he does. Um, Theologian Dale Bruner calls the Spirit, I like this, he calls the Spirit, quote, the shy member of the Trinity, since he doesn't want attention for himself. This morning, my wife was listening to this. She's up in Oklahoma today, and she was listening, and uh, she just texted me. She said, and my wife is a big-time introvert, okay? And she just texted me this morning, I think the Holy Spirit is an introvert. And I was like, yeah. He doesn't want attention for himself. He wants that light to be shown on the work of Christ. I'm going to finish this morning with a prayer that I read uh, about a week ago that just really moved me, and I hope it moves you as well. It's from A.W. Tozer. Uh, Most famous work by Tozer is The Pursuit of God. And listen to this prayer that he writes. He says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Thy glory, I pray Thee, so I may know Thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. And then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. I want that. God, I want to be more thirsty for you. I want to I don't want to be satisfied. I want to long for more and more of you. And I want you to take me from where I'm at today to new places that you have prepared for me, that you have prepared for us. This morning, maybe you've never put your faith in Christ and been baptized into Christ. And maybe this morning, you feel that conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Word tells us that one of the jobs of the Spirit as He leads people to Christ is to convict people of sin. And if you feel that conviction, you feel that darkness inside, and you know, finally, there is nothing that you can do to solve your sin problem on your own. That's the Holy Spirit leading you to the cross. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Confess His name. And wear that gospel as your own as you are baptized in the name of Jesus. You can do that today. Also this morning, 
Uh, we've been having extended prayer times the last few weeks. We're going to have an extended prayer time this morning. You can come and pray with me or one of our shepherds. One of our shepherds will be in the back as well if you'd like to go back there and have one of our shepherds pray for you. Or you've got a lot of folks around you who I know would love to pray with you and for you, or you can pray over them as well. We're just going to open up this space for the Spirit to work as we pray because we know that He intercedes through our prayers even when we don't know exactly what the need is or what words to say. Romans 8 tells us the Spirit is speaking for us. And so let's be courageous enough to engage that promise, to trust that promise, and to pray over one another. Let's respond as we stand together. Spirit, we love.